Uh, grace is amazing because it is undeserved. It's unearned. It's a gift from God. And we know that salvation is by God's grace through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And we've seen a, a picture of, uh, of, of new life in Christ through, through baptism this morning. And hopefully uh, for each of these boys and their family and even our church family, we pray that uh, these are unforgettable uh, occasions, unforgettable events. And uh, this morning we return to the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible, as we are in a message series titled Unforgettable. Um, tracing God's work through his people. And you can find our text for this morning on page 45 of uh, a pew Bible. So let me encourage you to turn there to look at God's word with me. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll be glancing back at the text and reading the text as we go this morning, uh, striving as always to submit to the Lord, to hear from him, uh, to allow him to speak and to heed uh, his message. And so this morning we're in Exodus chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. We'll be covering the rest of that chapter, but uh, to begin with, I want to read verses 11 through 15. And so, as is our custom, let me invite you as you find your place in God's Word to join me standing, uh, whether in body or in spirit, for the reading of God's Holy Word. Exodus chapter 2, uh, beginning in verse 11. Our story continues. It says, One day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew. One of his own people, looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. We thank you for being a God who speaks to us. And so, Lord, we pray now that you would speak to us uh, by the presence and power and guidance of your spirit as we uh, seek to understand your word and apply it to our lives as your people. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Well, church, you may be seated. Has God's time ever been too slow for you? I'm wondering, have you ever been in such a rush to accomplish what you knew needed to be done that you took matters into your own hands? I'm willing to bet that for most of us, we could say yes to that. And there's no doubt that Moses must have felt that way. Remember this story. Remember that God had orchestrated events in such a way as to uh, deliver Moses, to spare Moses from death, to rescue him from the Nile River into the palace of the king. From the brink of death to the king's palace. Abundant provision. Uh, the princess of all the land, the princess of Egypt, took baby Moses in as her own as in a time when all other Hebrew baby boys were being discarded, disposed of, treated uh, wrongfully. The princess takes Moses in as her, own, as her own, giving him the best of the best, the best shelter, the best provision, the best food, the best clothing, the best training, the best education. A Hebrew by birth, but raised as Egyptian royalty. God providentially situated Moses in the ideal scenario to be equipped to save a multitude of Israelites out of Egypt and to lead them into the promised land. God did this. There's no doubt about it. 
If we believe this story, if we read it the way that it comes to us in the text, there's no doubt that God is working here, that he is providentially orchestrating events. And Moses must have known this. Don't you think? Do you think as Moses reflected on his own situation and the sparing of his life, and not only the sparing of his life, but the great provision that he received, he must have seen God's hand at work, spared from death. Loved by the family of the king, given the best of everything in the land. And now he's broken hearted over the oppression of his people, his fellow Hebrews, his fellow Israelites. I wonder if perhaps Moses sees the writing on the wall and knows that if anyone can take a stand for God's people in Egypt, it has to be him. If any man can save the Israelites, it must be him. And so what does he do? Verse 11, one day after he grows up, he goes out to where his own people were and he watched them and he sees their hard labor. He sees their oppression. He sees them enslaved. He sees an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And so looking this way and that and seeing no one, the text says he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. I'll show you not to mess with my people, Moses thought. And before we are too hard on, on Moses, Remember that he's a member of Pharaoh's court. He has, no doubt, an assumed position of superiority over the slave driver. And the slave driver is not simply correcting the slave. In fact, the word translated beat in verse 11 and the word translated kill in verse 12 come from the same root. In other words, a fair translation of the text could read, Moses saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and seeing no one, he beat the Egyptian. And hit him in the sand. Or, we read it another way, the slave driver may well have intended to beat this slave to death. Thus Moses steps in and beats the Egyptian slave driver to death. In fact, in Acts chapter 7, we read about Stephen. Remember Stephen the martyr, early Christian martyr who is, is preaching the gospel. And he's preaching to Jews. And so he, he traces God's work throughout salvation history. And he speaks of this account. And Stephen says that Moses went to the slave's defense and avenged him. There was the law of retaliation or talionic justice. So Moses is defending his people. He's coming to the rescue. But he's trying to do it in his own power and in a sinful way. And God does not bless the sinful ministry of self-appointed saviors. God does not bless the sinful ministry of self-appointed saviors. You see, even if an expert legal team could have come up with a winning strategy for Moses' defense, and they likely could have, his actions were still, were still wrong. And he knew it. The text says, looking this way and that and, and see no one, no one is watching, so Moses takes matters into his own hands. A sinful attempt to deliver the oppressed. And as the story continues, it says the next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting, two of his own people, two enslaved Israelites. And he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man responded, who made you ruler and judge over us? And the answer is no one. No one had appointed Moses as ruler and judge over Israel. Someday he would be, but not yet. Not until the Lord says it's time. 
Reminds me of a scenario that took place in our kitchen at home yesterday morning. I was up uh, uh, early on Saturday and I decided to cook breakfast. I don't cook breakfast every day. Don't think more of me than you ought. But every now and then on a Saturday I cook uh, breakfast. And uh, my two-year-old was up at the time and he, uh, trying to keep him occupied, I asked him, I said, you want to help daddy cook breakfast? Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. So he climbs up on the stool and watches me and I begin to crack some eggs. And next thing I know, he's taking an egg and he begins to crack it. I'm thinking, no, wait a minute. Not yet. One day, soon enough, you can have this responsibility. You can do this. You can cook all the breakfast you want. You can crack all the eggs you want, but not yet. You're not ready yet. And likewise, Moses is not ready until the Lord says it's time. Not until the Lord says he's ready. Not until the Lord calls and enables him. And the Lord will not call and enable him until Moses realizes that he's fully dependent upon the Lord. And so as you serve... Fully depend on the Lord. Friend, as you serve, Christian, as you serve, husband, wife, as you serve, dad, mom, as you serve, as as you serve, fully depend on the Lord. When you know you are depending upon the Lord, then the Lord gets all the glory. You see, Moses' problem was not his motivation. He was moved with compassion for his people. But his problem was his method. He attempted to save his people in his own power and in his own way. And you may say, well, I'm not, I'm not called to ministry. I'm not called to serve. Yes, you are. If you are a follower, follower of Jesus, then you are, the word says, an ambassador of Christ. If you're a Christian, then you're a missionary. If you're a parent, then you're called to be a spiritual leader in the home. If you are a teacher, then you're called to show your students the love of Jesus Christ. If you live in a neighborhood, then you're called to be salt and light to your neighbors. You see, every one of us is called to serve as a gospel witness right where the Spirit of God has us. And as we do, we are to fully depend upon the Lord. Even the Apostle Paul, the great pioneer missionary of the Christian faith, recognized that he was broken Paul recognized that he was weak. He recognized that he was useless in and of himself on his own. That the key to his ministry success was the power of Christ working through him. And he says as much in 2 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes about the thorn in his flesh. We don't know exactly what that was. Something that hindered him. Something that that brought great discomfort to him, either emotionally or physically. And he says that he pleaded with the Lord to take it away from him. But God said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul responds, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Deliverance will only succeed in God's time, in God's power, and in God's way. And God's ways are not the ways of this world. God uses the weak to shame the strong. No matter one's position, no matter one's power, no matter one's personality or prosperity, God will not bless the sinful ministry of self-appointed saviors, but He will bless faithful ministry dependent upon His power and motivated by His character. God blesses faithful ministry motivated by compassion. God is a God who blesses faithful ministry motivated by compassion, for he is a God of compassion. And soon God himself would be motivated by his compassion for his oppressed people. 
But for now, the Spirit of God would continue cultivating compassion for the hurting in Moses' own heart, teaching Moses to respond with faithfulness rather than sinfulness. And so the story goes on. It continues. Let's look back at the word. Verse 15, we read that Pharaoh heard about Moses killing a man, and he attempts to kill Moses, and so Moses flees. He goes out to live in Midian where he sits down by a well. Verse 16, now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. So some some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to the rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? Verse 19, they answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? The father asked. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Scripture says Zipporah gave birth to a son. And Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. You see, God wasn't through with Moses. In the words of one commentator, even failures can be God's followers. Even sinners can become his chosen servants. And so once again, Moses encounters injustice. This time it isn't slave drivers over slaves, but it's men abusing women. In fact, I think this story, if we read it carefully, implies a long-standing conflict between Ruel's daughters and these shepherds. It says, when the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? Implying that they usually face challenges at the well. And they answered, verse 19, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. You know, Dad, those shepherds that always give us trouble. Maybe these shepherds waited for the women to fill all the watering troughs, troughs, and then they let their flocks and herds enjoy the benefit, leaving the women to do twice the work and go into the back of the line. We don't know. But in any event, they treated these women unjustly. And Moses was going to have none of it. He's motivated by compassion and he steps in and rescues them. He serves the oppressed this time without sinning against the oppressor. He serves with no expectation of reward, with no anticipation of praise. Church, at the well of Midian, Moses serves as Jesus would one day serve. Our God is not interested in self-appointed saviors motivated uh, by making a name for themselves. Beware of ministries that seek to bring too much glory upon themselves. Of servants who are a little too interested in accolades and human praise. God's not interested in self-appointed saviors, but he's interested in servants who want to contribute to his great name. But if we're all honest, we would all confess that wanting positions of power and words of praise is quite the temptation for all of us in our sinful nature. In fact, on one occasion, Jesus confronts a couple of his own disciples who are bantering about who's the greatest and who's going to be the greatest in Christ's kingdom. And Jesus called them together and said in Mark chapter 10, he said, he said, you know, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. And then Jesus says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. 
And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. And then he says, for even the Son of Man, referring to himself, Jesus says, even I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. You see, we serve a serving God, a God who considers and cares for the lowly. Matthew tells us that when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. As Moses matured in the wilderness of Midian, he began to see people the way that God sees people. If you want to be used by the Lord to show his love and accomplish his purposes, then see people the way God sees people. See people the way God sees people, not as objects or obstacles or numbers, but people with compassion. See them with compassion. See them with concern. See them with care. Do you love people, friend, because God loves people? Do you love and champion the cause of the orphan and the widow and the alien? Because God champions the cause of the orphan and the widow and the alien. Do you ache over the lostness of your neighbor? Because Christ aches over the lostness of your neighbor. Such are signs of spiritual maturity. And such spiritual maturity doesn't happen overnight. History tells us that God often uses the wilderness to prepare his people for ministry. Our God has a history of using the wilderness to prepare his people for ministry. Verse 21, Moses agreed to stay with the man in Midian who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. The story says that Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. The name Gershom, uh, many Bibles note for us, sounds like the Hebrew for a foreigner there. So, in other words, this is more than just a name that Moses likes. Moses gives his son a name that conveys that he is not where he should be. That he is like an exile in a foreign land. That he is wandering, that he is a nomad. This one commentator writes, his life in Midian was a banishment and a bitter humiliation. He knew that he belonged to another people, another life, another land. The Lord uses this time. He doesn't waste this time. The Lord uses this time in the wilderness to prepare Moses for ministry. Forty years in the desert. Forty years learning what it meant to be a husband and a father and a son-in-law. Forty years learning how to tend the flock as a shepherd. In fact, someone once said Moses was 40 years in Egypt learning something, given the best of the best. He he was 40 years in the desert learning to be nothing. And he was 40 years in the wilderness proving God to be everything. Friend, perhaps you're in the desert today. Maybe you're feeling lonely and broken, hurting, sorrowful and pain. Maybe you're wondering. Maybe you feel out of place and uncomfortable in your occupation or your situation or your location. Discomfort is not always outside the will of God for us. Perhaps the Lord is shaping your character. Maybe he's teaching you patience. Maybe he's cultivating compassion. Maybe he's working in you now in order that he might work through you in the future. Whatever your current situation, ask yourself, what is the Lord wanting to teach me now? What is my God who reigns on high, who is sovereign over all, who is trustworthy? What is it that he is wanting to teach me right now? He has not forgotten you. 
He has not abandoned you. He is not through with you. He is for you and he's working in you and he's ready to hear from you. How's your relationship with him? Are you talking with him? Are you hearing from him? Do you cry out to him for help? You see, the word is clear that God responds to the cries of his people. He is a God who responds to the cries of his people as Moses is shaped into a servant of God in the desert. Meanwhile, back in Egypt, the story continues, verse 23, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. The text says uh, God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. The portrait here is of prolonged slavery, prolonged oppression, 400 years that is now causing intense grief and bitter distress and painful agony. Their only hope was their God. Have you ever been in such pain, such turmoil, such distress, such heartache that you knew your only hope was God? David, one described as a man after God's own heart, was surrounded by enemies. And in the midst of that, David prayed to God. He said, hear my cry for help. Hear my cry for help, my king and my God, for to you I pray. God, I need you. You are my help. In the midst of heartache, another psalmist declared, Psalm 130, verses 1 and 2, Out of the depths I cry to you, Lord. In other words, in my lowest of lows, I cry out to you, Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to my cry for mercy. Friend, are you hurting today? Are you questioning today? Are you wondering today? Are you bereaved and lonely? Are you broken Or abused? Are you at the end of yourself and in need of a savior? Are you fed up and failing and fatigued? May I offer you a suggestion? Cry out to the one who knows you. Cry out to the one who knows you unlike anyone else knows you. This one heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant. And he looked on the Israelites and he was concerned about them. You see, God hears our cries. And the word uh, hear here means more than what it seems to say. It means he responds to what is heard. And he remembers. And this remember is, is, is more than recall. It's, it's implying that God never forgets. The word, the word of God reveals that God never forgets. It means to begin to act on the basis of what is remembered. In the scriptures, in the Old Testament, when God remembers something or someone, he's acting on their behalf. He's moved to action based on his remembrance. To pray, remember me, God, is, is requesting more than memory. It's requesting more than recall. It's saying, God, look upon me and act on my behalf. Look on me with compassion. You see, God hears our cries and he responds. He remembers us and he acts on our behalf. For what he remembers is not our sin, but his covenant of grace. That's good news. He remembers his promise of salvation. And he acts toward his people accordingly. 
always. Friend, God sees and finally God knows. God knows. Verse 25 says God was concerned. And that's an okay translation, but it doesn't really do him justice. The word here is knew. God knew his people personally, intimately, completely. He knows our need and he does not forget us. As his children saved by his grace, we are unforgettable to God. Friend, did you know that? Sam, did you know that? You are unforgettable to God. Brent, did you know that? You are unforgettable to God. Margaret Ann, you are unforgettable to God. Mary, you are unforgettable to God. God does not forget his people. God does not forget his people. He never forgets his people. Are you one of his people? Are you one of his? Are you heard? Are you remembered? Are you seen and known? Are you saved by his grace? You can be. Cry out to the one who knows you. The one who made you, the one who sustains you, the one who loves you, the one who longs to redeem you through the blood of his son, our savior, Jesus Christ. If you are not one of his, if, if you've not gone from death to life, if you've not been spared and brought into the kingdom of Christ, cry out to this one who knows you today. Cry out to him for salvation. Acknowledge your sin before him. Turn from it. Acknowledge Christ's provision on the cross in your place and receive the gift and express your desire in faith to follow after him. Cry out to the one who knows you. And if you know him and you already know that he knows you, And you know that positionally you are right with him. That you have been forgiven your sin. May the truths of God's word. May the truths of God's love for us. Move us to praise him. To worship him. To live our lives for his glory. Once again. Would you bow with me? Father we give you thanks this morning. For being a God who does not treat us as our sins deserve. But a God who looks upon us with grace. Lord, a God who has been motivated by grace to save us, moved by your unfailing love for your people to act according to your promises and plan to rescue and redeem a broken, sinful, rebellious people and bring them into your family, fellow citizens and members of your household. Father, we thank you for that gospel truth. We thank you for forgiveness, for salvation. We thank you for life in you. Father, I pray that we would live according to who you already say that we are. Lord, may we live as your children. May we proclaim the riches of your grace. May we celebrate life and life in you. And Lord, now as we respond together corporately, as we respond individually, Lord, may you move among us. May your spirit convict us and shape us and draw us and encourage us. Lord, may each of us respond in a way now that glorifies the name of the one and only Savior and King, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen.